in the first in the book of First Kings, chapter seventeen, we've already we've already talked about the story, but I want to give us a little bit more depth and a little bit more understanding of it because as I as I was reflecting um, on this whole week, I mean every aspect of this week with the. Uh, Preparation for the fair has been just bathed in prayer and trying so hard to just be aware of God's presence even while we work. And unfortunately, sometimes you're just so busy working. Sometimes you're just so focused on what you're doing that you end up not thinking about God and not not recognizing that what you're doing is for Him. You're just doing it, okay? So sometimes you just, you get so bogged down in the work that you forget who you're working for. And you forget that he's right there with you. And if you just turn to him, he'd empower you. <laughs> there, there were plenty of times this week where my body was saying, you know, you are done. You are stupid if you keep walking. And, and <laughs> I said, God, I need holy strength because there ain't no more physical strength. Because this old fat man doesn't walk around and work that much anymore. But I had to work a lot this week. And my Apple Watch congratulated me two days in a row. Because I doubled my normal output. Woo-hoo! <laughs> oh my word. Horrible. Absolutely. Why do we have to work for Jesus? Why can't we just sit around and talk about it? But the reality is. As I was reading this and reflecting on this, because I'm supposed to be preaching in Isaiah, but I just sensed in my spirit that God did not want that this morning. And I was like, well, what do you want? And he said this, just just look at what happened with Elijah. Now, I was trying to go back, because I've studied this book, I've studied the Bible for four decades, so I know this backwards, forwards, inside and out. But it had been a, it has been a while since I've read this section. And so I went through and just last night, again this morning, just read through this section to familiarize myself with it. And some of the things you need to understand and recognize are this. At, as soon as King Solomon died, his son made a real bad mistake. Because he didn't listen to the older, wiser counselors, he listened to his buddies. And the end result was, he caused a split between the northern nations of Israel and this nation of Judah. And so literally what had been one nation became two. There was a civil war. And the end result was this, the northern nations became known as Samaria. And the southern nation was most of the time called Judah. Okay. So it ended up during this divided kingdom time that there were actually two kings. One king in Jerusalem. And he was the king over Judah. Then there was the king of Israel. And he was the king who was, his palace was up in, uh, in, in, in Samaria. Samaria? Damascus? I can't remember the name anymore. Thank you, Samaria. But anyway, but there was a point at the beginning of this divided kingdom where the king of Samaria said, I want to make sure that my people worship God. But they don't want to go down to Judah, to Jerusalem to worship. But that's what they're supposed to do. So we'll build an alternate temple temple up here. And so they violated the law of God and built an alternate temple up in Samaria for people to come there to worship God. Well, the end result was hundreds of years of 
decay, decay, decay as far as their spirituality. And it came to the point where the northern kingdom was worshipping anything and everything. Literally, they had uh, altars on just about every high hill. The Bible says under on every high hill and under every spreading tree, you would find a place of worship, and it wasn't worshipping God. Well, it comes a point in the history of the nation of Israel where a man named Ahab, excuse me, Ahab, who is the son of Omri, becomes king over Israel. And Ahab does something really stupid, trying to be a leader of the people of God. He marries a Syrophoenician woman named Jezebel. And Jezebel is not a worshiper of Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah. She is a worshiper of Baal. And she does not give up her ways when she comes into that kingdom. As a matter of fact, scholars will tell us that Jezebel was actually the ruler of the nation and Ahab was her little puppet. Whatever he wanted, whatever she wanted, that's what happened. I could show you the story of how Ahab came home one night all upset and whining because he couldn't get the piece of land he wanted. And his wife Jezebel is like, what are you talking about? You can't get the land you want. You're the king. Well, I want that wine press and he won't sell it to me. Well, it turns out that that wine press is pretty much where the temple is right now or the Dome of the Rock is right now. That area of land. And he's like, I, I want it and he won't sell it to me. She said, you're the king. Make him sell it to you. And it ends up that they had the guy killed. He takes the land. This is the type of, of attitude that, 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 that the leaders of the nation of Israel are displaying at this point. Flagrant disregard for the laws of God. Worshipping anything and everything. And again, uh, Jezebel comes in and she literally has, at one point we read in, in, uh, in chapter uh, 18, she has 450 priests who worship Baal. So they have literally tried to totally transform the culture and the spirit of the nation of Israel under this king and his wife. Now, Jezebel has a nemesis called Elijah. Elijah's a prophet. He comes in pretty much in chapter 17 of 1 Kings. is the first time we really read about him. There's no introduction. It just simply says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Galilee, makes Gilead, says to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So what God told Elijah, his prophet, to do was to speak a word to the king of Israel who was not following what he was supposed to do. And he said, because of the way you're living, God is putting a curse on you in your country and you will not have rain. Well, they were an agricultural society. They had to have rain to be successful. And the end result was, when the drought came, a famine came. And that famine and drought lasted for at least three years, we know, from what we read in this passage of Scripture. We don't know if it went on much longer than three years, but for sure, three years, no rain, no grain, no food. Now, Elijah was not a popular person with the household of Jezebel and her puppet king Ahab. And so Jezebel literally sent people scouting throughout all the villages and towns of Israel to find Elijah so she could get him killed. And if you read through some of this, it's a really fascinating story. 
There's this one guy named Oholiab who's actually working in the palace. He ends up becoming a prophet later on and there's a book of his in the Bible. But Oholiab is a faithful follower of the Lord God even though he's working in Jezebel's palace. And Oholiab actually hides a hundred prophets who have not, or priests who have not bowed to uh, Baal in caves. He has 50 in this cave and 50 in this cave and he brings them food and bread and water every day. To make sure that they stay alive while they're in hiding. So Oholiab is this little God spy in the, in the palace of Jezebel and Ahab. But Jezebel and Ahab have their own people literally scouring the country looking for Ahab. I mean Elijah because they're going to kill him. They're going to kill him. Well God ordains and if you read here in verse 2 of chapter 17. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Depart from here. Turn eastward. And hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east by the, of the Jordan. There you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and he did according to the word of the Lord. And he went and he lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. So now Elijah's in trouble. He can't go to any village or town in Israel because he's a marked man. They're looking to kill him. There's, there's posters all over the place, wanted posters, dead or alive, $500, bring the man's carcass in and we'll give you your money. So Elijah is skulking around trying to figure out what he's going to do. He has no more water in the one area that he was hiding safely. What is he going to do? And it says, verse 8, in chapter 17, then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Sidon is north of Israel. It's not Israel. It's the, it's the, the country where Jezebel grew up as a princess. It says, go to Zarephath, to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So Elijah arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called out to her and he said, bring me a little water and a, in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he said, oh, and bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, listen to the, listen to the boldness of what this man of God says to a person who doesn't know God. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent. The jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. Now, can you imagine you're this widow, you have no means of support, you have a young son who is not old enough yet to support you, and you have nothing left in your kitchen 
except a little bit of dust in the bottom of your flour jug and a tiny little bit of oil, just enough to make a little paste so you can bake a little piece of bread so you can eat it and then you're done. And this man has the nerve to say to her, before you feed your son, give me something. How do you respond to that? It's not normal for a mother to take the food out of her mouth, out of her child's mouth, and feed it to some strange guy who declares in the name of his God. But something about the way Elijah spoke to this woman convinced her that there was truth in what he was saying. And we don't get all of the nuance of that as we read this. You can just quickly read through the story in less than three or four minutes, really. But if you take the time to think about it, there's a lot going on here. Something in the way that Elijah spoke those words, thus says the Lord God of Israel, you will be okay. Trust. Well, the trust comes in making the bread for the God, for the guy who's not part of your house first. I mean, it's different if I say, well, let me feed my kid and then whatever's left over, I'll give you and I just won't eat. But what God declared was, you give to me and my servant first, and then I'll make sure you're taken care of. That was an act of faith on the part of a person who did not have faith. Think about that. A person who does not know the Lord God. Here's a man who does know the Lord God and says, something about what you're saying makes sense. And it strikes deep within me as truth. I don't know why I'm doing this. But okay. And she gives him the first portion of the meal. And God proves himself faithful to his word and to her and her son. In addition to that, as the story progresses, the son gets sick. The son, literally it says, he doesn't have any breath left in him. I don't, some scholars that, that I read didn't say that he died, but that he was just so ill he couldn't even get his own breath and he was on the verge of death. Others said he was indeed dead. We don't have the, the real thing in scripture, but we have a nurse here who could tell us what it means to be without breath and how do you resuscitate that person? Because if you read this section of scripture talking about that, it literally says that Elijah picks this child up and carries him up to the upper room where he lives in the house and he lays him on his own bed and he says, he's, the scripture says, he stretched himself across the child and declared, oh God, give him breath. This is what I see in my mind's eye, okay? He comes and he carries the child to his own bed and he lays him down and forgive me for having my back here, but I can't do it any other way. And he finds the sternum on the kid and he puts the heel of his hand on the sternum and he puts his other hand here and he goes, a thousand one, a thousand two, a thousand two. Jesus, help this kid. Don't let him die. There's no such thing as CPR back then. But something happened where Elijah stretched himself over this child's body and declared life back into him. How in the world would you do that? 
There's no medical stuff back then to understand what this is that's happening. Well, they just know that when the body stops breathing, it's dead. Why would he even do something like that? And how could he have enough faith to know that God was going to hear him and respond and resuscitate the child? But you see, God had already said to him, I'm going to take care of this widow and her family during the entire time that there's a drought until the rain comes. I'm not going to let them die. He already said that. So when the death looked like it was about to happen, Elijah's standing on his face saying, no, there is no way that this child is going to be stolen from his mother because the Lord has already declared they're going to make it through to the end. And I don't care what the enemy is trying to do to us. It is not going to happen on the power in the name of the Lord God. And I stand here as his representative saying it will not happen. And I call out to the holy God saying, oh God, honor your word. And very carefully in this book, it, it now says, and he gave the girl, the wife, the, the widow back her child. And they lived on and then they were happy and good. Like I said, if you read this, just real quickly, without thinking about it, it's just this little story. You can put little cute pictures up there with a little widow holding a bag of flour and a little kid hiding behind mama. But this is a poignant story. And then, if you go on into chapter 19, 18 and 19, then the, the drought is over with, and then God says, you go talk to Ahab. God, they won't kill me. I don't care. You go talk to Ahab. Okay. And he does. And he says the word of God to Ahab. And when Jezebel finds out about it, whoo, she's mad. But the end result is, is that there's this big, huge confrontation between the priests of Baal and Elijah standing on the mount. And they call down fire from heaven. And whichever one, whichever God sends the fire, that's the true God. And all of the nation of Israel stands there going, mm-hmm. sounds good to us. It's a cool story. We don't need to go into all of it. Just understand God. Elijah, this man of God, has come to the point where he can literally stand in front of the entire nation of Israel and declare, thus says the Lord, and have full confidence that it's going to happen. How in the world did he get there? I mean, it starts out with this really powerful, thus says God, and this child shall not die. That's easy in a bedroom quiet when nobody else is around. But now he's asked to stand in front of the entire nation of Israel with 450 prophets cutting themselves and bleeding all over the place, trying to pull down the, the fire of Baal. And he, lived, he simply says, God, we need you. If you read the story, that's pretty much how it goes. Where did he get the, the, the strength of faith and the strength of vision to be able to do that on that scale. I would submit to you that it happened as he spent three or maybe a year and a half at the side of the brook Cherith every single day not knowing whether the birds would show up or not but trusting that they would. He spent Every day for a year and a half, two years. We don't know how long because it's the, the whole period of time is about three years. So a year, year and a half, two years, something. But every single day living all by himself, sitting by a brook, waiting for food to show up so that he could live. 
knowing if he left that place, his life was forfeit because the queen was going to kill him. He had to come to a point where he said, I trust you, God. I know that you're with me. Jehovah Shammah. I know that you will never leave me. I know that you are Jehovah Jireh, my provider, because I can't grow my own food during this drought. Nothing will grow in this hard, rocky soil because there is nothing to do, nothing I can do. And so, God, I need to depend on you and you alone. And that year plus of day in and day out, living with the presence of God, and that being his whole focus, he was trained, he was discipled, he was built up in his faith. So that when the time came, he could walk before someone else who was in need and say, I know you don't believe, but I have the answer for you. And yes, it's scary as all get out for me to stand here in your country where I don't have any support of my own and declare to you in your country, which I know is an evil country because I got your queen. And stand here and say, thus says the Lord God of Israel, the true God. And to say it with such authority that it indeed what he says happens. Everything goes right back to that day in and day out faithful attendance to the intimate fellowship with the Father. You never know, as a follower of God, you will never know what moments in time you need to be prepared for. It could be that you're on this earth for one moment. That some point in your life, you're going to be the one to interact with one other human being and speak the word of truth that makes it finally clear to them and the light goes on and they become a Christian. But if you don't spend the time with the Father regularly, consistently fellowshipping with God, reading and studying the word so that you know it backwards, forwards, inside and out, knowing how to pray, not just simply, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, amen. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the, or we can get real super spiritual, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, because I even sing thys and thous now, so it's all holy stuff. See, if you can't get past that in your walk with God, heaven help you. I literally was in conversation with somebody not part of this congregation, not even necessarily part of the Two Rivers community, but I was in conversation with somebody about a week ago, and they said, I've gone to church my whole life, and I hope someday I'm going to read through the Bible. They were 30 stinking years old, or something in the early 30s, I don't know what their exact age is. Something 30 years old who has been in the church from their birth, and they've not yet read through the full Bible? Come on, it doesn't take that long. But how, and don't raise your hands, please. I do not want to embarrass you, but how many of you are in that same boat? If you're not spending time with your father 
listening to what he says, learning to how to communicate with him, learning to hear his still small voice. That's another part of this Elijah story, which is powerful. If you're not doing that on a regular basis, how do you even hope to be used of God to advance the kingdom? Basically, you're a leech. I don't mean to be unkind, but that's what it is. If you're not productive, all you're doing is sucking life. You might as well just go and be with Jesus now because you're not doing any good for the kingdom. So my encouragement to you, and I I don't want to be mean-spirited. Please don't hear me being mean-spirited. What I want to say to you, what I want you to hear is this. You have a loving God who desires desperately to be with you regularly. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to commune with you. But he is a gentleman. He is not going to force himself on you. If you make yourself available, he will be present to you. And as you are spending that time with him, you will grow in ways you never dreamed possible. And then some point down the road, God will take all of that growth that's in you and he will use it to bring forth such glorious beauty in the kingdom of God. Things you would never think I could possibly ever have a hand in that. But wow, God, look what you did through me. Woohoo! That's what I want for each one of you. And truly, I believe that's what God is calling us to. You will be hearing in the coming days after I finish Elijah. You will be, I mean, not Elijah, Isaiah. As soon as I finish with our series on Isaiah, we're going to be moving into the calling that God has for this congregation in the coming days. And it is that we have to get out of these seats and go out into those streets and be bold for the name of Christ to see the kingdom of God advance. We're going to be doing things that are totally different from anything you've ever been comfortable with. And if you don't like it, you might find another church to go to because I ain't moving. My point is this, though. I want you to get on your faces before God. And I want you to say to him, how can I be used for your kingdom? Where do I still need to grow? Where am I hindered? What things aren't working because I'm scared or because I'm in some way hindered in my own abilities? Just give me the ability beyond myself to get past that, to learn about your word, to learn about fellowship with you, to learn about praying, so that when the time comes, I can sit side by side with my neighbor and say, let me pray for you. Or, hey, I was just reading in the Bible last week about this exact situation. Let me show you what it says. Because once you put it in there, the Holy Spirit can bring it out. <laughs> but you've got to put it in. So let's pray. And let's just trust that God's going to do great and mighty and powerful things in our, in our midst and through us.